There are many ways people listen to Vision, including DAB Plus Digital Radio. If you're in Greater Sydney, Melbourne or Brisbane and have a digital radio receiver in your car or home, you'll find Vision Christian Radio on the station list. If you're visiting one of these cities and hiring a car, there's a good chance it will have a DAB receiver and you'll be able to enjoy vision with exceptional sound quality while you drive around. If you don't already own a DAB receiver, you'll find many models, including clock radios at electronic retailers for under $100. To find out more about vision on digital radio and whether you're within the broadcast footprint, see vision.org.au slash DAB. However, and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our conversation today is about the intersections of science and theology. We're asking the question, are science and faith incompatible. You could ask the same question another way. Are science and faith compatible? Well, our special guest today says astronomers, physicists and biologists have now shown that the more deeply science probes nature, the more it reveals evidence pointing us to God. Award-winning author James G. Martin has recently updated his book Revelation Through Science. He argues that scientific study and religion can and should exist in harmony. His book is aimed at the educated non-scientist with a field guide to reconciling apparent conflicts between research findings and faith and lifts the burden from believers and seekers. James G. Martin is an organic chemist. His PhD in chemistry is from Princeton University in the United States. But Dr. Martin was also elected six times as a Republican congressman in the U.S. House of Representatives and twice as governor of North Carolina. In life after politics, he returned to his roots in medical research and makes his case in his book called Revelation Through Science. Dr. James G. Martin, joining us from the United States in North Carolina. Uh, James G. Martin, welcome along to 2020. Well, thank you, Neil Johnson, and uh, thank you especially for taking an interest in uh, talking about uh, this book. I've I worked on it for about six years, and uh, then with the, the lockdown from the pan, pandemic, I was able to have time to revise it, so this is good timing. It is good timing, and uh, I know you get called Jim by your friends, so from now on, it's Jim. Jim, you you argue in your book that it should lift the burden from Christian believers and seekers to realize that science is not the enemy of faith, because there is that perception uh, often in our community that there is real conflict there. How How do you talk about lifting that burden? You know, the most important thing is to uh, make clear that what you've just described is what I hope to achieve, because I believe that can help people to uh, to deal with, uh, with with some very important questions. I, I do not propose to tell people what 
to think about it. They've got to make their own decisions, as do you. And and I'm willing, and in my book, I do share, with an interest in transparency, I do share what I think about some of these things, uh, but I don't tell people what to think about it. I give them a lot to think about, and I think that's the best that I can do. Uh, the, the, throughout uh, the last century and a half, since uh, Charles Darwin's book on the origin of species and the descent of man, and not Darwin himself, but some of his friends who were agnostic or atheists began to use that as an argument uh, against religion. They they would say that if you now that we believe in evolution, you can't believe in God. And uh, and and I don't agree with that. I, I believe that uh, that science is a mode of revelation of how God did it to the extent that He and His wisdom wants us to to be able to discern that. He's provided for our minds to grow. He's provided for us to be able to invent apparatus, instruments, that we can measure things that we couldn't see a hundred years ago, much less a thousand years ago or two thousand as the Bible was being written. And I believe there's a purpose in that for us to be able to see things revealed through science <clears throat> that are consistent with our faith. And that's the reason for the title of my book, Revelation Through Science. And and so that's, that's what I'm trying to do. You describe the Bible as not a scientific textbook. And uh, and of course, right. you do also describe the the uh, the contrast there that science has no way of being able to produce any purpose. So, in some sense, here you say that there can't be a conflict between science and faith because they have the same source. Yes. So, uh, and and that that's what I believe. I, I certainly do. How how would we be able to? achieve the studies that that show that the universe is expanding if we hadn't been able to develop our minds and our thoughts and our mathematics and our optics and instrumentation that uh, reveal that in 1930 and 32. Before that time, Neil, it was believed by astronomers that the universe was static, that it was not growing, it wasn't shrinking, it was just there. And because of that, atheists were able to use that mistake belief to argue that uh, there was no creation because it's all just there. And then uh, Edwin Hubble was measuring distances to these new galaxies that he had discovered outside of ours. And he compared his distance measurements with measurements of velocity of these galaxies all moving away from us. And based on the fact that the velocity that they were moving was proportional to the distance, that is, if one galaxy was A was twice as far away as galaxy B, it was moving twice as fast away when they compared those two different measurements. 
And, and in other words, the reason it's twice as far away is because it has been moving twice as fast. Now, when you take that backwards on the time scale, you see that all of the mass of the universe could have started and would have started from basically the same p- place in uh, in space, same time and place, and that's consistent with Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. Uh, what I've just described to you about that is called the Big Bang, is is something that that's what science tells us. And you can believe that or you, you, you don't. But as a scientist, I believe it, and I find that that's perfectly consistent with my faith. By the way, I should mention I was the son of a Presbyterian minister in South Carolina. And uh, more important, my mother was a preacher's wife. So we grew up in in a Christian household, my three brothers and I. And we had uh, fraternal rivalries, you might say, but we all knew uh, what the gospel said to us. And as a scientist, I see that it's good that the deeper we go into science, the better it supports my belief in God and in Jesus Christ. Sometimes, And the worse it is for the atheist. Yeah. Uh, On this program, sometimes uh, someone will say, uh, I believe in the Big Bang. God spoke Mm -hmm. and there was a Big Bang. And uh, there is a sense here in which that's a simplified way of what you're describing there. Controversy comes when you say, was that Big Bang only a short while ago or was that a long while ago? And this is one of the contentious things. And uh, for listeners regularly to science conversations on this program, they'll notice there might be a few different ways that we can talk about things today. Your thoughts here, Jim, uh, just uh, quickly, because I think set the scene for where you're coming from in the sorts of things that you discuss in your book. Well, that, that's quite all right, uh, Neil, and, and thanks for making that important point. People do have different perceptions and different views and, uh, and different reasoning about that, and, and we read and we try to, to come to conclusions. Uh, God has revealed himself to us in so many ways, especially before the writing of the Old Testament and the New Testament, but I contend that God is still revealing to us uh, things that we need to know in order for people to see that science comes to us from God. Nature is all from God, and science is the study of nature. And so science reveals things, and we can either agree with it or, or not based on other things, and I have no problem with that. But what science at least would tell us is that the Big Bang of creation was 13.8 billion years ago. And now that's a long time, but how can that be a long time for the God that we worship, who is beyond time, above time, and uh, was there before the Big Bang and will be there long after if we somehow manage to develop a big crunch? I'm teasing there a little bit. Uh, Science doesn't say that or the Bible. But God is with us. And whatever we believe, that's the main theme. I don't don't dispute 
what anyone else believes in in the theological context of their life and what helps them to be good Christians is fine for me. But I do think it's important that if you look at the science, it doesn't prove the existence of God, but it certainly points us to God. It doesn't tell us who God is, but it shows us that God is. And this goes back to what you said earlier in the program. Uh, Before Edwin Hubble, the atheist was able to argue that uh, there was no creation. Now they can't make that argument. So that works more difficulty for the atheist than it would for someone who might have a different view about how to interpret the time scale of that uh, expanding universe. Does that make any sense? It does. Jim, if we're talking about time scales here, uh, it's one of those issues that has the capacity to disrupt uh, confidence in spiritual things because uh, we'll read in the book of Genesis about a six-day creation. And and so uh, for a lot of Christians, uh, trying to reconcile the idea of a long earth uh, age uh, is a difficult thing when you want to have confidence in the scriptures. But this is also one of those things that has kept people from faith that they have not been able to reconcile the idea of believing in the God of the Bible when the things that they've been taught in science, and even though it might come from uh, different uh, ideological backgrounds as well, and we'll get on to that sort of thing, uh, those sorts of things, they find it difficult to reconcile. So you've got this disruption to people being able to put confidence in spiritual things. What are your thoughts here? Well, Neil, certainly I'm not a theologian and uh, would not be a good leader uh, for to help people with dealing with that. I, I can only say that what we have learned through the science that God has enabled us to develop points uh, to a longer time period. And, and, and you have to uh, realize that those, the writer, the authors guided by God who wrote Genesis 1, didn't know about galaxies, didn't know about an expanded universe, had no way to observe that. But if if they had used words like a Big Bang, uh, maybe they wouldn't have been believed back then. Maybe if they'd uh, said that it was billions of years old, uh, maybe the people wouldn't have uh, paid attention. And And so they had their best sites, and it's amazing how the first two chapters of Genesis track very well with the fossil evidence of uh, the appearance of different uh, kinds of animals. Uh, As I've looked at that, I could only find one animal that was a little bit out of line with the account of of Genesis, but the, the, the comparison is so striking that it's amazing to me that they were able to anticipate what the fossil evidence would show us. Now, here again, we're, we're dealing with an area where people have struggled with over the years, but largely, I think, because the atheists had used science for their advantage to trouble people to try to 
take them away from their religion. And I think it's very difficult in today's society to say to young people that you have to choose between science and religion because, Neil, I, I doubt that's win many people. It may save some, but the net effect is that we've lost too many people. And that's why I say it's a burden on people that I hope I can ease by showing that the life is so complex, and we that from science. Life is so complex, especially in my field of organic chemistry, at the molecular level, so complex that there's no way we could be here by unguided chance. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Our conversation today with Dr. James G. Martin. His book is called Revelation Through Science. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. And Dr. Martin is across a whole lot of different disciplines in science. He's had a very long career. We won't ask him his age, but he's had a long career both in science and in politics and thought through these issues very deeply of how science leads us to a deeper understanding of God. Jim, let's talk for a few moments and perhaps through uh, an example or two of some of the things that you're talking about uh, where science and understanding it leads us to God. And one of those is the way you talk about the way the eye is, the human eye. Give us your insights. Well, this has been a historic issue of a dispute between, particularly bet- between uh, believers and non-believers, uh, the argument was made that the eye is so complex that it's it points us to a creator. It, there are about in the fossil record some, and in the record of animals that we know in in our day, there. Uh, is evidence that some 40 different kinds of eyes developed. And uh, this is very interesting and fascinating and raises the question of whether that could have happened by a slow process of evolution. And what I try to point out so that we don't go too far with that argument is that the evolutionists have been able to raise uh, interpretations that explain how it could happen, and they have some evidence which I cite that supports at least part of their theory. They could show that uh, you could start with a a spot of a pigment sensitive to light on the surface of a creature, and later that could, uh, for some reason, fold in to where it was protected and then later that would uh, develop, uh, the nerves would develop as an optic nerve, and then you get a primitive eye and a complex eye, and all that's fascinating. And I I don't rely on that as much as I do on information that we get from my field of organic chemistry. And, And the reason is, as long as we were talking about comparative anatomy of living species and fossil evidence, as long as we're just looking at that, 
remember that all Darwin said was when changes happen, natural selection would favor the one that is the survival of the fittest. And if it if the change caused some damage and it was no longer competitive, then natural selection would eliminate that. Well, Darwin had no idea what caused the the variation in the first place. There's no way. And it wasn't until 1953 when uh, Watson and Crick published their idea of the uh, structure of DNA, which was thought to have the genetic information in uh, in our cells, that then that we began to see an explanation of how change took place. Now, give me just a moment to change my telephone to another one because I just heard a little beep that my battery was running down. Okay, and we can hear a slight we can hear a slight uh, little change in the quality of your voice too. Uh, just to mention that uh, that Jim's book uh, is called. Revelation Through Science. It's Dr. James G. Martin. It is actually an award-winning book, and it's a different sort of dimension that we're picking up on today as we talk about science and faith. And we're going to get into, in just a few moments, uh, when we've got the telephone issue sorted out, uh, this idea I'm, uh, that... I'm back, thank you. You're back? And, uh, so is that Jim, clear? You're very clear, yep. Uh, so the thing I was just saying to listeners is that there's a dimension in that we're talking here today to someone who's not just a scientist, but someone who has a long political background. I mentioned you were six times elected to the U.S. Congress, twice as the governor in your home state of North Carolina. So there's politics involved in science and faith as well. And I might just ask you, because uh, knowing your uh, your flavour of politics has been Republican and people have all sorts of ideas about what that means. But typically the opposite to where Republicans are is a more socialist idea about science and faith and the idea that there must be no God. I wonder if you've got a thought here about how how politics has impacted the way we all, even as Christian believers, think about science and faith. Well, there... As long as we have different views about our religion, about our economics, about our uh, national interest, uh, there are going to be disputes uh, between people. Generally, uh, we we often hear party criticized for being from time to time. That's not apply to everyone, but uh, a lot of our Republicans are anti-science, that they deny some aspects of science. And I concede that that's true. It's also true of some Democrats. And uh, it's like uh, there are a lot of uh, Republicans who agree that the earth is uh, is not as old as the scientific evidence. There's some that believe, believe that global warming is a myth. And, and, and that's their view, and everyone's entitled to their own view. As far as global warming, while it's the Republicans who are more likely to dispute the evidence, which most scientists uh, believe in, on the Democrat side in our country, that would be the left, political left, it's the Democrats who are unwilling to 
to build uh, to allow us to build nuclear power plants. And I would argue that if you don't build nuclear power plants, and particularly some of these small ones, railroad card size, uh, same size that they use in uh, nuclear-powered submarines, if you don't rely on these, uh, you're not going to be able to solve the the problems that are perceived that go along with the uh, with global warming. So a lot of our challenging debates, Jim, uh, around, uh, say, Mm -hmm. climate change and uh, some of the other debates that are going on, even so far as uh, the current issues around COVID, a lot of that is distorted. The science is distorted because people hold a different ideological view politically. Yep. And and a lot of the information is still coming out about COVID and that that meant that as it broke early and people were trying to deal with it, uh, they didn't know exactly what they had, and they were making uh, from the, the the medical scientific community, the World Health Organization in our country, the Center for Disease Control, they were making recommendations that conflict with what they're saying now. Jim, I'll need to cut in because we're about to go to news. There's also a question on our Facebook page. Do you think... Big developments in science decrease or increase the gap between science and God. You'll find that at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Jim, as we talk through this part of our conversation, we'll take some calls in just a few moments. But I can't help but reflecting on the scriptures from Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. For since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have clearly been seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. There is a certain sense there in which the dynamic of the Apostle Paul uh, reinforces what you're saying today about science and faith. Any thoughts there? And the Old Testament does the same. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Declare, that's revelation. Uh, and, the, uh, and, and what I'm saying is we're seeing God's handiwork and understanding it better. And the more we understand, the more we see that we could not otherwise have ever achieved life on this planet or any other. And I do have a chapter on the search for life on other planets. They may find, they may not find life. It depends on whether God uh, sought to and intended to have life on another nearby planet. Well, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence is another dimension here that listeners may well have a thought on. Uh, So you were going to make another point about that? Well, just that it's all part of what I'm trying to show is that in the last few decades, after theologians had had been dealing with the arguments of the materialistic atheists in our society, who are entitled to their view, whether they're, you know, even if they're wrong. But as theologians were dealing with it, they, I think we kept losing ground. And now, in the last few decades, beginning with astronomers and physicists, we're beginning to see scientists stepping up and say, wait a minute, uh, you've got that all wrong. Science is showing us God's handiwork, just yeah. as the Old Testament indicated. Well, before and, and we... so that's my story, and I tried to 
uh, in the early part of my chapters, I wrote about astronomy and physics and what the geologists have found about the age of the Earth and what the paleontologists have found in uh, studying fossil findings. And all this is fascinating, but nobody had written about the chemistry of life, organic chemistry. Now, this is your field. field. This is your field here, Jim. And And that's why I wrote the book to introduce that for the first time. You focus on what we can understand as complexity, Uh, the idea that there's... Uh, you, you even asked the question, uh, what do proteins do all day long? Now, this is a really scientific part of our, our conversation here, right. but let us in for, you know, for probably most of us non-scientists, uh, this idea of complexity. Well, we, we know from medical science that there's a lot of complexity, even in the anatomy and in the way in which we fend off diseases with our immune immune system and and yet what is behind all of this is the molecular structure of the components of our cells and of our body uh, smaller than we can see with a microscope but things that we've been able to over the years to establish about carbon compounds that's organic chemistry and so one of the most fascinating things that I show is, is about proteins. In the human body, there are 23,000 different kinds of proteins. And in the DNA structure, we found 23,000 genes, each of which has the code for one protein. Now, to my mind, that's, that's a miracle. And when you're getting into miracles illustrates what I'm saying about how science can be supported. 23,000 genes, there are other genes, but 23,000 of them have the code for the order in which different amino acids, 20 different kinds of amino acids, are selected for the sequence in which they are tied together in each of the 23,000 proteins. Now, how, how does uh, the DNA get that information into the cell? Well, the code of the, of the gene of DNA of one gene is transcribed into the code of an RNA, ribonucleic acid. And that's a shorter nucleic acid, RNA. And unlike the double helix of DNA, it has just a single helix. But RNA takes that code and goes about the cell to what we sometimes humorously call protein factories. The biologists would call them ribosomes. But the ribosome protein factories begin to assemble a protein. And as it does, the RNA goes through the factory like a train. And as it does, it brings in the amino acids in the order in which the code of that gene preordained them. Now, think about that. That is so complex that there's no way that could have happened by chance. Now, there's one other feature. The backbone of DNA is a sugar called deoxyribose. The backbone of RNA is another sugar called ribose. It's a little bit bigger. And that these sugars, just like all sugars, are made from proteins. In the the tree, the leaf of the tree, for example, uh, proteins 
assemble all the sugars, including ribose and deoxyribose. Well, RNA and DNA couldn't exist without the sugar ribose in the case of RNA, deoxyribose in the case of DNA, being already assembled for the structure of the DNA. Well, that leads me to to write out a, a, a triangle with RNA and DNA at the top with proteins and the amino acids that comp- comprise them on the lower left and with ribose and deoxyribose, the sugars, on the lower right. And it's, it's like a three-way chicken and egg conundrum. Which came first? We, we're familiar with that, with the chicken and the egg. Did the egg come first to the chicken? And that's quite a puzzle. But think of this. Some biologists would argue that RNA came first. I would say, no, it wouldn't have the code unless DNA transferred the code to RNA. And it couldn't do that without some proteins helping the DNA to transfer the code. In other words, this is all tied together. I believe that all three corners of the triangle had to have been present in the first living cell or else it could not have reproduced. You couldn't have cell division. And my point is that this is so inordinately complex, given that the code of DNA, going back to that, has 2.1 billion, with a B, billion elements of code. It is just too complex. Science is now showing us for the first time that this code that controls our genetic heritage is so complex that it couldn't get it right by chance. It could not be properly organized. It had to require a divine intervention. And in my book, I don't say that with the deist that God created us and then went somewhere else. I show examples that appear to be miraculous interventions throughout the organization of life. Wow. Now, do do I ask everybody to believe what I believe? No, sir. I'm I'm not that uh, arrogant, but I do ask people to think about this because this is on our side. For years, the atheists had the upper hand when you were just looking at superficial elements of of uh, anatomy. When you get at the basis of the anatomy, the molecular structure, it swings the argument in our way if we'll let it. And, and I pray that we will. As you say, a major problem there for the atheist. Uh, that is not a problem at all for the Christian believer in Creator God, uh, where things are too complex for self-assembly without some yep. guiding principle. And uh, and uh, there's an interesting one there into how you know it is the God of the Bible, and that might be a discussion for another day because we've got some callers. Let's introduce some, uh, some guests uh, with some questions or comments or critiques. Steve is in Parks in New South Wales. Hi, Steve. Welcome along. Yeah, good day, uh, Brother Neil, uh, Brother Dr. James. Uh, God bless you, and I hope you're, you're both okay. Uh, I've got a question for you. Uh, Dr. James, and it's great to be able to speak to you. I admire America and the greatness of the United States. Uh, where uh, The whole world's going through a very difficult time, as it did back 
in Darwin's time. Um, it gets back to, uh, as you said, uh, Dr. James, uh, Brother Dr. James, this is the old uh, war, faith versus science, faith versus the Illuminati, angels versus demons. I tend to look to a, a French philosopher that was around 100 years before Darwin. His name was Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Uh, and he, he made a quote that really struck it home to me because I had a terrible struggle with this um, uh, faith business in the early days. I was looking for answers. And I came across this French philosopher's work and he, he noted this and he was around 100 years before Darwin. And he stated this and by his own people he was considered the champion of faith and the heart. And Rousseau wrote this, I have suffered too much in this life not to expect another. All the, the subtleties of metaphysics will never make me doubt for a moment the immortality of the soul and a beneficent providence. I feel it, I believe it, I want it, I hope for it, I will defend it with my last breath. We are in a war now with these communist rebel rousers. They have no respect, whatever, for God. They want to trample the Christian faith into the ground. I'll stick with Rousseau's findings and the quote I just read you. What are your thoughts, uh, Brother Neil, and what are your thoughts on his quote? Uh, Dr. James. Well, I'm handballing this one uh, straight to Jim. Jim, your thoughts for Steve. Yes, well, Steve, thank you for for listening and for thinking deeply with us and uh, being being uh, open-minded to at least to understand what each of us is saying. I think that's the most that we can hope for. Uh, the, the communists have had their day and they're struggling now. There are a few countries that remain, and China and Russia are very large. Uh, some smaller ones, uh, Venezuela, uh, Cuba. Uh, but their their system, the economics, is a great struggle for them because they have to tell people what to do with their lives. And in your country and in mine and part of uh, what we enjoy from what we, we call Western civilization there's a freedom of the spirit that grows out of our religion. And and that's healthy in my view. And I believe we have to stand up for our view. Uh, we don't have to pick a fight every time, but we need to stand up for our rights. There are even times in uh, other kinds of competitions like the recent Olympics where uh, we, we have to pull for our sides to uh, to compete honestly and vigorously and successfully and uh, show them that we can uh, that we can prevail I, I just fell in love with your Australian Olympic uh, athletes uh, just like I have enjoyed your uh, your Shiraz I, I hope I'm not uh, troubling you with that but I, I, I'm an admirer of the Australian Shiraz better than the French Syrah which had the same grape. But communism has had its day, and it's been based on a godless belief, and atheists were uh, drawn into that, and that's part of the political background that we have to deal with. But let's you and I stand up for what we believe and hope we can persuade young people as they come along to see the value and the worth of a system that encourages people 
to have freedom, uh, freedom not only of, of economics, but freedom to think and speak and hopefully be tolerant of what other people have to say. Steve in Parks, thanks so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join our talkback conversation. Let's take another call. Lawrence is in Perth, Western Australia. Hi, Lawrence. Welcome. Oh, thank you for the conversation this morning. I have a question regarding peer review and discrimination. For example, if a thousand scientists agree on how things are going with climate, for example, and their views are accepted, what happens with other students who want to study for their PhDs but aren't permitted to do so because their views may not be accepted by their potential peers' views? Good thoughts, Lawrence. Along the lines of, uh, you know, get with the narrative or you're offside. Uh, your thoughts here, yeah. Jim, for Lawrence. Lawrence, I, uh, I worry uh, about this, the theme, the subject that you've raised as to whether our institutions of higher education, especially the collegiate, undergraduate collegiate experience, is not showing the kind of tolerance for different views. Uh, in our country, perhaps in Australia, I would leave you to advise me about that, but in, in our country, United States, a lot of the colleges have... Uh, even the one I graduated from, Davidson College, have recently moved away from their Christian relationship of their tradition, and they have other ideals which in themselves are worthwhile, like what they call the inclusion of diversity. And and I can tell you that uh, they're very strong in, in wanting to be sure that no matter what someone's background is that they would have an opportunity to to go to college and to get an education, and they speak of that with great deserved pride of of working for diversity of every imaginable human trait except one, and the one that they don't mention is the diversity of thought of allowing people to have discussions and to have views that are not popular and views that have to stand on their own and be defended. And so a growing, a rising group of us in this country are now trying to uh, get our colleges to go back to where they were in uh, previous decades when there was debate on campus rather than indoctrination, because I think that's very important. I believe that's sort of what you're raising. Maybe you were thinking of the United States uh, hopefully you don't have that problem in Australia, but human nature being what it is, uh, if you do, you you have to deal with it. So I think you. I think the science curriculum at all levels of education in Australia is uh, ideologically hijacked. So uh, thank you so much to Lawrence for your call. Let's take another call. Donna is in Western Australia. Hello, Donna. Hi. How are you? Very well, Donna. What are your thoughts? Okay, so the, uh, the question I want to raise is um, Aboriginal Australia, they don't have a DNA to throw back through melanin. So, and is melanin a... Is it a, male, is it a male recessive gene or is it a female recessive gene in that, like I said, we're the only race in the world that does not have this gene. 
Okay, uh, do you understand that uh, question there, Jim, uh, about Indigenous uh, Australians? Uh, enough to know that uh, I'm probably not. You know, I, I, uh, I've, I've covered a lot of ground in the book, but I don't pretend to be a biologist or a physicist. I'm a chemist. I, I uh, would not be a good one to to explain that, but there is the indication that indigenous populations uh, were on this planet earlier uh, and uh, we have evolved from them or folks like them. But I, I don't believe I could give you a very good answer to that. Donna, you might need to talk with someone who is in that field. Sorry, I can't help with that. Donna, save that question. We might be able to present it on another day. Donna, thank you so much for your call. Uh, let's put a line under those calls now. Time is running short. Let me just come back to, Jim, your critics who say that you are religiousizing science. But I imagine uh, the atheist may want to de-religionize science. And so where those <laughs> exactly. listeners... As listeners there have, uh, have talked about conflict, uh, there is conflict, and uh, and somehow or other, as the Christian believer, you have to be able to understand both sides of the conflict so that you can enter into the debate. Uh, what are your thoughts here for this idea of, uh, you know, de-religiousizing science for the atheist, but, to, but the critics who will say to you, you're trying to religionize science? Well, Neil, my, my philosophy has always been to listen to what other people have to say it may mean that I'm not making clear to them uh, what my intention is. But it goes back to what I said earlier on this program. The, the person who doesn't agree with me is, is under no threat that I'm trying to tell him what to believe. I'm trying to give him a lot of information for him to think about on his own. Uh, and if if he believes that the complexity that I've described is something that could happen just by random reactions of a mixture of chemicals bouncing around in the universe. If he wants to believe that, I'd say he has a greater leap of faith than any Christian has to deal with. Well, there are a bunch of responses we might not have time to go through on our Facebook question today, but I'll encourage listeners. Uh, the question that's on our Facebook uh, post today, facebook.com forward slash vision radio, is do you think big developments in science decrease or increase the gap between science and God? Uh, Robert says, for those that want to deny God... It increases the gap. But for those that search with an open mind, science is slowly showing how wonderfully made this creation really is. Casey says, It's shame that somewhere along the line people decided they knew better than God and started throwing money at proving it. Uh, that's an interesting comment too. And Diane says, Why are there still single cells if man evolved from a single cell, why are there still crocodiles if they are prehistoric? Why does man have a conscience? Lots of questions are never answered by science, 
that when we become born-again believers, we can see and understand exactly what the Bible says in Genesis. An interesting quote there to to end on, and uh, this understanding of uh, believing God and the way you might interpret the Scriptures and therefore interpret science itself. Interpretation is a big part of that, and I wonder whether, uh, James, uh, at the end of our conversation, your thoughts just on how we look at the Scriptures and how we look at that uh, also uh, in regard to science. Neil, this would be my closing thought as a quotation. When in the revelations of science we find realities of nature that point us to God, we might thank God for science. And that's a quotation of my own. (laughs) We will quote James G. Martin when we use that quotation. Uh, Jim, wonderful getting your insights. Uh, Appreciate you staying up a little later to talk to us uh, live from North Carolina in the U.S., about 9.30 your time now. Your book is Revelation Through Science, and uh, for listeners, uh, you can simply Google James G. Martin, Revelation Through Science. Uh, It is a significant book, and as I said in the introduction, a book that's written uh, for the the educated non-scientists. So uh, if you're looking for something that is good reading, and you'll understand these concepts, but you may not be a trained scientist. This is a great book to get a hold of. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for taking some time Neil, to share your you. thoughts it's with us. It's been wonderful talking with you. Look forward to the day when we can get back to your great country. And you've spent some time in Australia. You look forward to coming back here, and I'm sure some listeners look forward to a visit to the U.S. as well. Uh, James and, G. Uh, Martin. Alice Springs. <laughs> okay, fabulous. <laughs> Uh, Jim, thanks so much for your update and uh, sharing your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.